to the first episode of our new podcast, Two Mamas and a Mustard Seed. I'm one of your hosts, Kisa Holke. And I'm your other host, Renee Rethal. We are friends. We are mamas. We are followers of Jesus. Oh, and one other thing, just a little thing. Renee's white. Kisa's black. few months in America, hasn't it, friend? I'm just not talking about the pandemic that is driving us crazy, COVID-19. Right. No, you're not. You know, that's one of the reasons we wanted to start this podcast. So many of us are tired and discouraged. And, you know, we wanted our podcast to be a place where we could sit and just talk truth and hopefully inspire and encourage others to do the same. So, welcome to Two Mamas and a Mustard Seed. On our first episode, Hope Remains, Kisa and I are going to tell you a little bit about how we got here and why we are choosing to remain hopeful as America continues to struggle in the areas of equality and equity for all people, regardless of skin color. Yep, let's do this. Let's lean in, guys. I refuse to accept the view that mankind is so tragically bound to the starless midnight of racism and war that the bright daybreak of peace and brotherhood can never become a reality. I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word in reality. So Kisa, my favorite verse in scripture is Isaiah 117, and it says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Oh, and boy, we have some justice to seek and oppression to correct right now, don't we? Right, right. Just last week, we saw this video of black teenagers in Los Angeles County have massive guns pointed at them as officers arrest them for being the victims. Witnesses were yelling at the officers that these boys were the victims. They were literally saying, I'm the one who called you. I am telling you, these boys are the victims. And the officers didn't care. They kept pointing the guns, arrested these boys. We see injustice happening too often. Right. To right. black boys, black men, black girls. You know, it's, it's so hard to watch. Uh, and I really feel the weight of it being a Jesus follower right now. Because, you know, for me, sometimes it feels like, the same thing, just a different day. Yeah, it's just a cycle of history repeating itself, it seems like. Yeah. You know, and it um, makes me remember one of the greatest heroes of the civil rights era that we just lost last week, Congressman John Lewis. You know, he's a man of God. Whether you agree with his politics or not, he was a good, good man. And he said not too long ago, my philosophy is very simple. Mm. When you see something that is not right, not fair, not just mm. say something, do something. So here we are. Mm. We're Jesus followers and we're seeing some stuff that's not right. So we're saying something. You tell us a little bit about how we got here, Kisa. You know, Renee, this podcast was really just birthed from the conversation we've been having for almost a year, um, just around our disappointment regarding more diversity in our collective spaces. And how we could help to impact change in that regard. And just a little side note, 
for all of you. Keith and I live about three miles down the road from each other, mm-hmm. and we live in a predominantly white country kind of area outside the city right horse country and we worship in predominantly white churches and our kids have attended predominantly white schools right yeah yeah i mean this conversation felt like a huge task but really we wanted to figure out how to do it right both sets of our children had faced some issues at school kind of showing some ignorance some privilege some lack of leadership just championing championing racial issues of injustice and diversity. And although, you know, Renee, I don't think your youngest son, uh, he attends a school that values diversity. And I think they're doing, they're really doing some things right over there. Yeah, they, they really are. They've, um, they've kind of stepped back and taken a look at their procedures and their policies and how they're training the staff and even the students for their, that matter. Um, my husband and I are so thankful that he's in that school. And hopefully on another episode, we can talk about how we can do this right in education and in our schools. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, make, it makes me think back to my sons, my middle sons, because I have three kiddos, <laughs> a large span there. But my middle son's senior year, you know, there was a family of color that spearheaded a much needed diversity conference for the teachers and faculty of the school of which I was able to participate mm-hmm. I was initially a little disappointed that I hadn't done more in the years prior to to help open eyes there. But nonetheless, I was thankful for the opportunity to share. And you and I together have met with leaders of the faith here in Louisville, challenging them to hold the banner high, advocating for justice through the church and just what it looks like to love your neighbor. Yeah, you know, when we met with those faith leaders, mm-hmm. it was three white pastors who were men. And I, you know, I'm just thankful that they agreed to meet with us right. because you and I were pretty feisty as mamas. And, you know, <laughs> we're pretty fired up about this right now. So it was, it, I mean, we always happen, but it was good that they talked to us because we, we can be that. a handful, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so when we met with them, we, it was a week after George Floyd was killed. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of coincidental because we had scheduled the meeting before Mm. this tragedy even happened to George Floyd. But when we, we met with them, we showed them this image and it was hundreds of photos and all the photos were of unarmed black men and women who've been killed by the police since 2013. Both of them, John was on there, Philando Castile, George Floyd, Tatiana Jefferson, Breonna Taylor, and literally hundreds more were on that photo. And I think for me, that image went straight to my heart. And I think it did the same for the white pastor sitting in the room, because it's one thing, it's one thing, especially for white people, it's one thing to hear these stories on the news. Um, And it's just another face. Oh, that's another story. It's, you know, same story, different day, you know. Um, But it's another thing to see all of their faces and see who are loved children of God, right? you know, um, yeah, image bearers, they, you know, it's what I think got both of us choked up in that meeting was the fact that you left two of those squares in the presentation open to where your son and my son, their pictures came into view. And that just further kind of just drew home the point that this could be anyone, anyone's son, anyone's son or daughter. And, you know, um, 
those pastors were aware of those being our family members, you know, they've seen them before. And so I think it was extremely impactful. Uh, Mm -hmm. It was hard for you and I to really keep it together after, after seeing that, uh, but we did. And so it's just, yeah, it's difficult. So a little history on my family. We adopted our first son from Ethiopia in 2013. We have two boys um, and there are only two children. They're both from Ethiopia. Um, So in 2013, when we adopted our oldest, Barack Obama was president. And, you know, I don't know. (laughs) He kind of good or bad, he kind of became a symbol, right? Mm. He became a symbol of first black president in America. Racism is gone. We've made huge progress. At least, Mm. at least in my white circle of friends, it kind of felt that way. Mm. Um, so (laughs) as parents, and this was our first time being a parent. So we had a whole lot to learn in a whole lot of different areas. Right. But in this particular area, we weren't ready for what we learned. Um, we thought racism was, a was a done deal. Like we were done with this. We had moved on. Hmm. Um, but we learned pretty quickly that we were a little naive in that area. You know, right before our son came home, my husband and I were walking in our neighborhood and we ran into a neighbor we've talked to a thousand times. It's this, It was this sweet little old white man. Um, he seemed harmless, right? Um, but that day we're talking to him. He's talking to us about his hometown in the South and he was beaming with pride about his hometown. And then all of a sudden his face changed. And he said to us, no kidding, this is a direct quote. He said, the town was great until they let the blacks move in. Mm. And I, I think I grabbed my husband's arm and I just looked at my husband like, oh no. We, like it hit me in that moment. We were so wrong. Mm. Um, and I knew we had a lot to learn and I knew we had a problem. So that kind of put me on this journey of reading everything I could by black authors, um, seeking out my black friends who were willing to come alongside me and my husband and teach us some things. Um, And it led me to humbly acknowledge the role of people with my skin color in creating this mess that we're currently living in. Right. I mean, Renee, you know, (laughs) that experience with your neighbor. Yeah. So many of us, so many of my black brothers and sisters and people of color, you know, we've been the recipient of situations like that for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so we must all continue to be on a journey, you know, um, I'm on a journey as well to continue to learn and educate, you know, to fill in the gaps that I didn't know in the past to help to educate others. So, yeah. You know, it's it's hard because um, there there is a lot to learn and mm-hmm. it seems like a daunting task. But never fear our friends. <laughs> There's hope. And Kisa and I know that and we believe that. And yeah. that's what we want to tell you all. That's part of our story on this podcast. Um, you know, so I encourage you to stick around, whether you're a Jesus follower or not. You, everyone's welcome here. We're going to talk about some hard history during these conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, But don't let that scare you because it's, you know, as we learn these truths, there's an awakening, I believe that happens. Right. Um, So, you know, if you're white, like I am, don't be scared. 
Don't, don't <laughs> run away. We need you here. And we need you to join us with a posture of wanting. Yeah. Desiring good. to know the truth. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I would say, I just echo to those of you who are not, uh, people of faith, you know, and, and also to my black brothers and sisters, you know, Renee and I are both raising black sons uh, and daughters. And we hope that by having these conversations on the podcast that we can all just contribute to the work that's already being done and, you know, continue to break down the walls of racism. Just continue fighting the good fight. So where is our hope? <laughs> That's the question that I think you and I ask ourselves daily, yep. you know, daily. You know, I've heard it said that this pandemic has caused people to slow down mm-hmm. and perhaps it's given them time and a front row seat to just see some of the injustice and murder that we as people of color have been speaking out against, marching and dying for, for many years. I mean, and seeing how many people of different cultural backgrounds are standing up for life, for injustice and demanding the change, it just continues to validate my hope that God is still in control. And with that said, the work's not done. No, it's not. You know, we can pray that change will come, but we can't pray without action, right? We can't just volunteer at one event or befriend one person of color. We have to pray for fresh eyes. And ask that the Lord just ask him where we can be about the work of, of racial healing and reconciliation in our own circles. That's right. It's it's almost like a like, almost like a lifestyle change of sorts mm. to be willing to see it and hear it um, constantly. And you know, you and I have talked about this. I and I, I don't know. I, I just I find myself living in a tension frequently. This tension that understands that my hope isn't in this world, but it's in a beautiful eternity. It's a beautiful world that God has restored. And every time I say it out loud, I get chills, right? Because we look forward to that as followers of Christ, right? Um, But really, sometimes I don't have hope in this world to change this, this being our issue with racism. I don't have hope in this world because, you know, we're, we have hundreds of years in our nation and particularly of power structures that have honestly brainwashed our nation to believe that one race is inferior to the other. And, you know, my only hope, my only hope is hanging on to Jesus and hanging on to the truth that we are all created in God's image. And that's how simple it's supposed to be. It is. It should be simple, a simple thing, you know, and and as a body, you know, as the body of Christ, as a believer, you know, we want to be a voice for those who have been failed by the church. You know, we are not perfect, perfect Christians, perfect human beings, but the church has failed many in that regard. And I'm heartbroken at different conversations that I've had with brothers and sisters of faith who don't seem to get it. Um, They don't seem to make that connection. And so um, you and I are picking up the banner as well, just being Christ followers and and trying to to lead the way. And so, you know, with having that love of Christ in us alone, that should propel our hearts to want to link arms with other brothers and sisters of color, 
joining the causes for justice and equality. All right, so that brings us to like, where do you fit in? Where do we all fit in regardless of what we look like or how much money we make? Where do we fit in this picture, right? Um, so the church that my family and I have been attending for a little while now started a series last weekend on gospel, race, and justice. And it, it was an awesome, awesome kickoff to it. But I love what the pastor said. He said, we all need to reflect before reacting mm. when we hear, especially when we hear something that's new to us right. that we haven't heard before. Right. Um, so as we work through these conversations on this podcast, maybe we all, Kisa and I included, mm. will have to take some time to reflect before we react. Yeah. No, that's good. I, I agree with that. You know, we really hope you stick around because our goals are that all of us will have real heart change and conversations. Um, we hope that the truth of the history of racism and the current state of our country combined uh, with the truth of Jesus will spark that heart change. We pray that uh, we can continue to break down the barriers of racial inequality that we can see in our lifetime. So we just want to uplift and encourage you guys. Yeah, you know, they, isn't it, what do they say? The truth will set us free. That's what they say. That's what they say. <laughs> so maybe the truth of race and Christ mixed together will bring us to a good spot. But, you know, um, during that sermon, Pastor Jamal Williams, he said, healing comes when we see the truth. Mm. How true is that? Think about my own journey. And boy, I've gone through a lot to get to this point. Right? Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so much further to go, right? So much to learn. So much to learn. Yeah. At the end of every episode of Two Mamas in a Mustard Seed, we want to end by telling you all a two-minute story about a hero of the civil rights movement. Reverend C.T. Vivian participated in his first sit-in in 1947 in Peoria, Illinois. The sit-in successfully integrated Barton's cafeteria. He later studied ministry at American Baptist College in Nashville, Tennessee. It was there he met Reverend James Lawson in 1959 and learned about the nonviolent approach along with Congressman John Lewis. In Nashville, Vivian and Lewis, along with other students, started a nonviolent campaign for justice. 4,000 demonstrators marched on City Hall in Nashville on April 19, 1960. Vivian and other students, and another student, Diane Nash, challenged the Nashville mayor, Ben West. It was there that West admitted racism is wrong. Vivian was a member of the Southern Leadership Conference. In 1961, he participated in the Freedom Rides. In 1963, Dr. Martin Luther King named Vivian National Director of Affiliates, appointing him to the executive staff of the SCLC. In February 1965, Reverend C.T. Vivian confronted Sheriff Jim Clark on the courthouse steps in Selma, Alabama. Sheriff Clark met Reverend Vivian on the steps of the courthouse with a court order to stop Vivian and other Black members of the community from registering to vote. Sheriff Clark eventually attacked the Reverend. Reverend Vivian said he was never tempted to fight back. 
You can turn your back on me, but you cannot turn your back upon the idea of justice. You can turn your back now and you can keep the club in your hand, but you cannot beat down justice. Reverend Vivian dedicated his life to justice and ministry, never backing down from the truth that all of God's people are equal. Reverend C.T. Vivian died on the same day as Congressman John Lewis. Both died on July 17, 2020. The Reverend was 95 years old. for listening to this episode of Two Mamas and a Mustard Seed. Join us for our next episode, Faith and Justice, from Minneapolis to Louisville to L.A. Until then, remember to be humble, be kind, be a good listener, and be courageous. Two Mamas and a Mustard Seed thanks Debbie Scheller for recording space, Austin Light for illustrations, and Maya Wright for photography.
Reverend Vivian dedicated his life to justice and ministry, never backing down from the truth that all of God's people are equal. Reverend C.T. Vivian died on the same day as Congressman John Lewis. Both died on July 17, 2020. The Reverend was 95 years old.